Lord, we give You praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving for all that You have done for us. And Lord, for the salvation that has been given to us freely. And Father, we thank You. It's because of Jesus, Your only and precious Son, in which we have life, have forgiveness, and receive grace. God, I pray this morning that You would open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from You. Speak to us through the power of Your Word. And may You be glorified this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray and ask these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we continue to work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. I continue to encourage you to read through the book of 1 Samuel and it will help you and assist you with a better background and a better understanding of these messages. As we look at this passage today, uh, the title is Valor. Uh, that's a word we don't hear a lot about today, but Valor, I, I was reading a story about uh, Matthew Couch who was a, actually in the, the Royal Marine Corps, the British Marine Corps, and the story goes, some of you heard it when he was in Afghanistan, his unit had been sent to uh, check out a suspected uh, bomb-making facility, and uh, they went in there and they got into a kind of closed quarters, and when they got to a spot, it hit a booby trap and a grenade rolled out. And he only had a couple of seconds to decide what to do. And he immediately jumped on it. And he had his backpack, which had some uh, Kevlar material, but still uh, would probably not be enough to save his life from the explosion. But he, he jumped on it. And uh, he only had a couple of se seconds to make this decision. And uh, when he did it, he hit it just so correctly that it blew him up against the ceiling, broke his nose, bruised him and scratched him, and there was some shrapnel that got into some of the other guys, but they all were able to walk away from the explosion of this grenade. Now, he was given what would be the equivalency of the Medal of Honor in our country uh, there by the Queen. Uh, but as they asked him the story, they said, what, what made you do that? And he said, well, I, I recognize that, you know, at, at our best... Uh, I was probably going to be maimed severely, probably die, and probably the rest of the guys in my unit uh, were going to take on severe injury, uh, if not death. And so, since I was the first one, and the grenade was closest to me, uh, I determined that, hey, I only got one choice. I can try to run, and it won't do me any good, or I can fall on this and save the lives of my comrades. And of course, actually, it, it didn't kill him, which was a miracle in itself. But it was an instance of where courage superseded human logic and reason. I mean, that's not your normal reaction to fall on a grenade. And we've heard that story before in, in wartime. Uh, but it was a vivid example of a man saying, I will give my life. There's something I value more than my life. And it was the honor and the lives of my unit and those who were with me. So this morning, I want us to look at the difference between confidence and courage. Confidence and, and courage. We live in a society today that values self-esteem more than any other society in all of history. Matter of fact, it's interesting, Fox just did a report the other day, and it came out that Americans have the greatest degree of self-esteem of anybody in the world. Matter of fact, of, of graduating seniors, it seems that our students have the greatest self-esteem of any nation in the world. They did some worldwide tests, but what they found is we are actually 23rd in the math and sciences. Okay, so in intellectual properties, we're actually way down the road, but we 
think we're better than everybody, okay? And we teach our children to think they're better than everybody and so that we can feel good about ourselves. And let me say, I am not against self-esteem. I think it's a good thing to have self-confidence. That's a good thing, and I will define it in this manner. Self-confidence is how I feel about my abilities in my, uh, in my uh, faculties to accomplish something, okay? It's how I feel about myself, basically, is what it is. But courage is this. Courage is not how I feel about myself, but how I feel about what I value the most and what I'm willing to do to show that I value it the most, okay? So it's really an act of what I value as opposed to about how I feel. Feel. Does that make sense? Okay. So confidence versus courage. And I think this story gives a beautiful description of this. As a matter of fact, if I was to tell you today, uh, hey, we're going to preach on David and Goliath, which we are, uh, most everybody in the world knows that story. I mean, if you've ever driven through the United States, if you've heard any Bible story in the world, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. And typically it goes like this. You know, big guy David, little guy named uh, big guy, excuse me, Goliath, little guy named David. And, and the message is, hey, it doesn't matter how big they are, just give it your best. And uh, you can overcome those big giants in life. And let's go home. Okay, that's kind of what we've heard. We've all heard that story and go, great, the David and Goliath story. I got that one. Heard that since I was a kid. But if that's all you grasp, if that's all you glean from this story, you've missed a huge part of what God's trying to communicate here. Okay? Because in reality, there are a couple of things going on. First of all, This is really a message about a representative or a substitution for the people. That's what David is. He's a representative of God for the people. He's a substitutionary instrument for the people. It's one man who is willing to take on the presence of evil and willing to die if necessary for what he values most in life, which is the honor and the glory of God. Okay, And we see that as a foreshadowing of the Messiah, of the Christ to come. We talked about last week how the anointing in Hebrew literally means mithio, means, means the Messiah. And so David is a prefiguring or a foreshadowing of the Christ, of the Messiah to come. That's literally what the word anointing means. In Greek, the word anointing means Christos, means Christ. So we see that picture being given here. Now, they didn't probably understand it during that time, but we can look back and see now. So here's David who goes on behalf of the people as a representative, as a substitution for maybe Saul, who was the warrior, who was the tallest, who was the champion of their army. He goes on behalf of the people as a representative for the people to fight Goliath. What does Jesus do when we get to the New Testament? He goes as a representative to fight sin, to overcome sin and evil on behalf of the people. You see that picture there? Okay, as we understand that and as we dive into this, I just want us to understand that a little bit. uh, Because in our society today, where we give, again, self-esteem is a good thing. I hope you feel good about yourself today. I hope you get your kids to feel good about themselves. But can I tell you this? it is more important that we teach our children courage than self-esteem. Can I tell you this? If you teach your children courage, 
Biblical courage, they will have self-esteem. Because as they overcome trials in life, as they stand up to the enemies of life, if they stand up for righteousness, it will build their esteem. It will build their character. And you won't have to tell them all the time, Oh, you're so wonderful, Johnny. You're such a good boy. There's no boys any better than you. You're the smartest boy in your class. I mean, we start feeding them all this stuff, and then they find out, I'm not the smartest boy. Now what do I do? Okay, I'm not the best at this. What do I do? I mean, at some point, reality kicks in. But courage, hey, that doesn't have, you don't have to be the best courage guy, okay? Courage is character, alright? So as we look at that, we're gonna see a man of courage versus a man of self-esteem. You'll see the difference. And I think every one of us would agree, hey, I'd rather have a David than a Goliath. Uh, unless I'm talking about a college football scholarship. But no, I'd still rather have a David than a Goliath. Every one of us would say that about the character. So as we look at Saul, we'll see kind of a pseudo-confidence, kind of a fake confidence. You see that a lot of times with dictators, with people like Saddam Hussein, who, who try to empower, who try to control, but in the reality they're just cowards. You see a self-centered, uh, kind of self-centered confidence, self-absorbed confidence. You see that in Goliath. But then you see the person of David, who I would argue probably had a degree of fear in his life, a degree of fear as he went against Goliath, but determines, you know what? I value the honor and sanctity of God Almighty more than I value my self-protection, more than I value safety. So that's the story that we see here in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bibles Let's turn together and look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with the 32nd verse. Now, before we get there, I know you know the story, but just a reminder, the two armies have gathered here to fight. Uh, the Philistines and the army of God, the Israelites, have, have uh, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, have gathered to fight against the Philistines. There's a valley, the Valley of Elah, in between them. And what happens is the Philistines have a champion named Goliath. He comes out and taunts them every day. This goes on for quite a period of time until David one day shows up as a boy, as a teenage boy probably, and hears what's going on and becomes concerned, starts to ask questions, and why don't we stand up to them? His brother gets on to him, and um, he says, you know, why don't we do something? Saul hears about this, brings him in, and that's where we are at this point in verse 32 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And David said to Saul, Saul, of course, being the king, the one who's not willing to go at this point, the one who would be the, the biggest of all their men of the fighting, he would be regarded as the warrior, so to speak. He said, let no one lose a heart. In other words, let no one lose their courage on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's a fighting man from you. The Bible also tells us <clears throat> that he's about six cubits high. Now, a cubit is the length from the tip of my finger to my elbow. So we, it's hard for us to get an exact measurement because everybody's hand and uh, from elbow to the finger is a little bit different. Uh, but some scholars would say 18 inches. Again, this is debatable. So we don't really know if he was 8 feet tall, 9 feet tall, 9'9". Nine, nine. Uh, we don't know exactly how tall he is, but we know he was really tall. And, and by the way, in the 1600s, there was a man that they me measured that was 9'3". 
And matter of fact, they uh, still have proof of his existence, of his DNA. And so it's not beyond reality that someone could get to this stature, this height. But in a time where the average male was somewhere around 5'3 or 5'4, if he was 6'4, I mean, he was a big guy. So regardless of exactly how tall he was, we know this, he was a giant compared to the other men and to uh, those who would see him. And so this is Goliath. And David says, I'm willing to fight him. He said, well, Saul said, well, he's a warrior. He's been skilled in military battle. And you have been a shepherd boy. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried the sheep from the flock, I went after him and I struck it and I, notice the word used here, rescued. I saved them. When the lion or the bear came, I saved the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered or saves me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You see that uh, if you went back and read this whole story, you'd see that Goliath constantly talks about himself. That's where his confidence lies. But you see David talking about the honor and the integrity uh, and the righteousness of God. That is why David is coming, not for his ego, but to defend the honor of God, to fight on behalf of God Almighty. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around, uh, tried walking around, but he was not able to use them. He said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now, we've all thought about that ridiculous picture. Here's Saul, who's a guy uh, over six feet tall. You've got a boy and he's trying to put his armor on. Part of that was uh, in those cultures in that day, it was believed if you took on the armor of a warrior that you would possess somewhat his spirit and his courage. And, and Saul may have even had in his mindset that, hey, first of all, this will protect him, but it also looks more like me. He, I can say if he wins, he went in the spirit of my armor. But of course, that's not, that is not what's going to happen at all. The Bible says that he took, then he took it off, and then he took his staff in his hand and five smooth stones from the stream and, and put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, he will take his staff. Now, we know what his staff was. It's basically, you've seen a shepherd's staff, and it kind of has a crook on the end of it, and it was used to pull sheep. Uh, also, he probably had a rod, which would have been uh, just a, a stick, a straight stick, that he probably had in his pouch. That was typical for shepherds. And if you look in Psalms 23, which we may read later, that rod and that staff to comfort me, we have good reason to think that's probably what Goliath sees, because in just a moment, Goliath will look at David, and, and Goliath's going to come out in his full armor, and he looks at David, and he goes, you come at me with sticks? That's probably all he notices. He didn't even notice the slingshot, nor would he probably have cared. But we continue here. He says, meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. So you see the picture. Here's David coming with his staff and his slingshot and some stones. He's probably got them in a pouch, probably tied to his side, to his belt. And he's walking. And here's this big guy, fully dressed, 
in full armament with a, with a shield uh, the size of a grown man out in front of him, somebody else holding it, and he's going out before Goliath, and here comes his boy. And that's the picture here. And so you, you see the picture of what it looks like uh, to be completely overwhelmed. I mean, it, it's basically that picture, if you remember the movie Hoosiers, where you've got a little small, small class A school. There's only like 15 in their graduating class, and they're taking on the equivalency of a big 5A school. And if you go back and see that movie or even read the story, they, they, they advertise it as the classic David versus Goliath. It's that image that you can't possibly win. It's just too big. It's just too much. And he's coming at him with that shield. And the Bible says here that he looked at David and saw that he was only a boy, a ruddy, handsome boy, and he despised him. They're sending a cute little boy out here. And what does the Bible say? And he says to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? We mentioned about what those were potentially a while ago. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Uh, that was a total insult and would have struck fear into the average warrior's mind if he thought that he was truly going to lose because not only am I going to die, but my body is going to be decomposed without being buried and not be properly Buried, And there was a concern about what would happen if you were not buried properly and if the animals came and age flesh. There was a whole concern about the spirit. There was a lot of mysticism around that. So he's, again, trying to strike fear. He's, again, uh, making comments to degrade David and to degrade his God. And David says to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spirit and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who gather will know that it is not by a sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. The spiritual battle, David says, is just like Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by thy Spirit. David is saying it is in the Spirit of the Lord I am coming. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David did what? I always love this part. He runs quickly toward him. The Philistine is walking, Goliath is walking, and David is running at him. That's courage. It continues, it says, Reaching into his bag, he takes out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone stunk into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Interesting. We see at least uh, three different scenarios going on here. First of all, you see a battle between Yahweh and Dagon. Okay, Yahweh, of course, is God, the God of Israel, the one true God. And then Dagon would have been the Canaanite God. Uh, it appears that that's what the Philistines uh, most often worshipped. So you've got Dagon. And we see in First Samuel chapter 5, as I'm sure you've already read, uh, where when the Ark of the Covenant came, that Dagon fell face down and that his head rolled off. 
uh, here again we see the champion now coming. The God has already fallen. His head's rolled off. Now the champion of the Philistine people will fall flat down on his face and his head will be rolled off. And then you see the battle of the individuals of David and Goliath. So you see the, the national battle. You see the spiritual battle. So there's, there's a lot that's going on here. And as we look at it again, we see what? We see the pseudo-confidence of Saul. So often we fall into that pseudo-confidence by whoever's loudest. Whoever speaks loudest supposedly is the one who's going to win. The Hitlers, the Mussolinis, the Castros, the KKK, the organizations that seem to have to hide their face because fear really reigns and runs through their blood, but yet they talk a big game. The self-centered confidence, you believe it, but it might not really be true, like the Dallas Cowboys going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, got the team, we're ready to go. And you start to believe the hype, but then there's reality. Well, let me, t- let me give you a good example. When I was in first grade, well, let me back up. I was in first grade twice. When I was in first grade the first time, it didn't go so well. And I got beat up several times in first grade. And, and then they told me, you're going to do this all over again. And I remember telling my dad, I don't want to go back to school. First grade was not good. He goes, well, son, you're going to have an opportunity to do first grade again. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, and he literally did this. He went out and bought some boxing gloves. By the way, he just bought my son some boxing gloves as well. And he went out and he bought him some boxing gloves. And he said, we're going to practice each day. And you're going to learn how to defend yourselves. By the way, I'm not defending uh, public display of violence. Okay, I'm just telling you what my dad did, and I'm using it as an illustration. So, uh, so he said, here's what I want you to do, son. We're going to practice, and I want you to practice hitting me as hard as you can. And I want you to get to where you can hit me in the nose as hard as you can. So we practiced that, and if I wasn't doing right, he'd hit me in the nose again. I don't advocate that. I'm just telling you what happened. And um, so it got to where I could hit him, and I, I, I'd hit him as hard as I can. He goes, okay, you're ready now. He said, so next time somebody comes and picks on you and you can't walk away, uh, he said, then I want you to just reach up and I want you to hit him as hard as you can in the nose. And you won't have a glove on. Well, you know, first grade started. Everything was well for a few weeks. And then, you know, I don't remember what happened. But somebody picked on me. I mean, I was scared to death, but I, I balled up my fist and I hit the guy in the nose. And he cried. This is great! <laughs> you know, and, and then it happened a couple more times. And, and pretty soon, man, I think I'm the enforcer, Mr. First Grade Enforcer. Of course, I've been here two years. I can show everybody where everything is. And, and it got so bad that other kids came and got me, hey, he's picking on me. And I'd go over and I'd hit him in the nose, you know, and they'd cry and they'd run off and that'd be the end of it. Until one day, it was Joseph Boyd. My friend Wayne West said, Joseph, uh, Joseph was hitting me and picking on me. Would you go get him? So I walk over to get Joseph. And Joseph's bigger than me. He's a husky guy. But I'd hit kids that were taller than me before, and they all cried. So it wasn't even a big deal. So I reached up. I said, Joseph, you've been, you've been picking on Wayne? He goes, yeah. I hit him in the nose, and he looked at me. That never happened before. <laughs> and I just stood there, and then Joseph got me, and he began to pound me on the ground. And... And uh, I learned that day that you just don't go walk around hitting everybody, okay? And that I had taken that way too far, and there were a lot of people that could just whip me. And it was a good lesson for me in life. But why did I do that? Because I was overconfident. I thought that I could handle anything. I thought I could handle any first grader anyway. I could take any first grader on, okay? But the truth of it was, I believed that, but it wasn't necessarily true. Uh, so that's Goliath who thinks because he's bigger, because he's won other battles, that he'll just automatically win. Full of self-esteem, full of ego. But yet he 
ultimately will lose the, the most important battle. And then there's David, courage. A man of courage. See, David, I still believe, was probably afraid when he looked at that giant. He probably had fear that runs through his veins. And, you know, as Plato said, courage is the fear motivated by the right thing. Jill Briscoe puts it this way. Courage is this. It's fear that has said its prayers. Great quote. I remember my wife quoting that before we decided to go start a church. Once we had decided that, it was kind of like her, uh, her statement as she listened to Jill Briscoe. But courage is not necessarily the absence of fear. Okay, A lot of times, that's just stupidity. It's not the absence of fear, but it's the value that there is something greater. There's a woman named uh, Monique Williams. I'll give you a great example of this. And... Uh, this little girl was in a grocery store in her, in her town, and she was walking out, and this man uh, tried to ask her to give her a ride. He said, won't you come let me give you a ride? And she said, no, thanks. And he kind of continued to pester, and she kind of just walked quickly by. And, and Monique Williams saw this, and then she saw that car kind of pull out toward the little girl uh, on the street as she was walking home. And uh, as she noticed that, she saw the man roll down the window, and he yelled at the little girl, get in the car! And the little girl got in the car, and Monique Williams, who had three children of her own, said it, it, something just overcame her. She knew something wasn't right. And she pulled up and blocked the car and yelled at him and said, Get her out! She said, Do you know him? He, she goes, No, get out of the car! And she began to yell at him. And, and the little girl got out and she jumped in Monique Williams' car. And about that time, somebody had called the police and the police drove up as this guy was trying to get away. And of course, you know the story. He, he was a sex offender and uh, had already been convicted twice previously. But when they asked her, I said, what made you do that? I mean, you didn't know this child. You didn't know the situation. You had children of your own actually in the car. Why did you do that? She goes, because, first of all, because it had happened to me before. Secondly, because I wanted my children to know no matter what it cost, that wasn't right. And I wanted them to see it. You see, she had fear, but she had a higher value of honor, of integrity, of righteousness, of protection of the innocent. That's what courage is. It's not that I'm not afraid. It's not thinking that I'm better. It's willing to stand for what you value the most. And David, in this story, values the honor of God more than his safety, more than his comfort. It's a beautiful picture of what God calls us to be. It's a beautiful lesson that we want to teach our children. It is that he believed that God was the ultimate champion, not Goliath. He believed he was fighting for the honor and the righteousness of God. That's why the Bible tells us to fear God, but to fear not other things. It's simply what it's saying there when it says fear God. Give Him the weight, the glory. What you value most. Value God Almighty more than you value anything else. Value the heart and the character of God. That's what it means to fear God. Don't value something else more than you value Him. You may be scared, but don't value it. That is the message that David and Goliath teaches us today. So when we overcome fear, we overcome the, the spirit of indifference. That it doesn't make any difference. That indecision that I, I just don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. The doubt that I could do anything. The worry. The timidness. or the, Just the clinging to safety mentality. And we come to that place where we humble ourselves and say, you know, I'm not better, but I believe. 
As a matter of fact, I have the need for God to go before me and with me. And I believe that standing for truth is greater than safety. I value truth. I value rightness and righteousness over self-protection and comfort. You know, I think there's some very practical lessons that we can teach our children here that are good for us. First of all, teaching our children courage over simply just teaching them self-esteem. How about to stand up for themselves when there's something greater at stake, when there's integrity at stake, when there uh, is honor and truth and faith. You know, I, I think of, uh, we have some friends that have a little nine-year-old girl, and at her school uh, this year, she had a situation where, uh, you know, the classic deal, a new child moves in, and this child was not probably as socially uh, astute as some of the other children. And she had a couple of friends, but this other little child was uh, being picked on and kind of left out and kind of just having her feelings hurt every day. And so this little girl began to stand up for her, began to spend time with this other child. And her friends began to mock her. And to the point, if you're going to stay with them, if you're going to keep protecting them, then, then we're not going to be your friends. And that was a choice she made. And, and I, I listened to that, the story as her mother kind of told her story and said, you know what, this is what we've taught you. And yes, this costs and yes, this hurt. But I want you to know how proud I am for your exercising courage. You see, the self-esteem thing would have been, well, you know what, you just take care of yourself. You stand up yourself and they can take care of themselves. But courage is standing up for those who cannot defend themselves. That's courage. What a great example. You know, I think of people, uh, I think of Jennifer Drum, who a month ago stood right here and gave testimony of the goodness of God at her own child's funeral. Two-year-old. That's courage. That's not self-confidence. It's not that I feel so good about myself, but I believe in the honor and the righteousness and the mercy of God and the sovereignty of God. That's courage to give testimony. I, I think of uh, I think of Ed Brock. Most of you probably don't know this, but our oldest son we named him Brock uh, after the Brocks. And the Brocks, of course, are a family that helped us start the church. Matter of fact, till they came along, I was the oldest person in the church. And uh, this was in the very early days when we were still meeting in a home. But uh, Ed was a um, graphic designer. Matter of fact, at a big firm, it was uh, Brock Richards and another group. And now it's called the, the Richards Group. But he, um, he contracted cancer, and he had stage four cancer. And uh, he had to leave his job, had uh, to leave his skills, his talent, had to come home. It wasn't long before um, he had to give up his driver's license, couldn't drive. And uh, he determined, uh, even at that time, that he would continue to be faithful and serve the Lord. And then it was also discovered that he was, he was becoming blind. And uh, now he's, he, you see him sometimes around here with a guide dog. He still helps with our children. He still does whatever he can to work and to serve in any way, capacity. And I've never heard him use one word of regret, one word of remorse, one mer- word of self-pity. What I see is a man who can barely see trying to make signs for us. Working with children and helping, though he's lost his sight, though he's lost his job, though he lost his income, though he lost his ability to get around, and sometimes I sit, and now he's got a guide dog. And sometimes when we go up to our office, we office uh, there uh, next to his house because he provided that for us. It was a place where he was working. And now it's a place where we have church offices because he's lost his sight. He's lost his skill. But yet he wanted to see it used for the glory of God. 
That's courage. God, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Yet will I honor you. What about you this morning? What lessons are you teaching your children? Are they seeing you operate in courage when you find yourself at the loss of work or the loss of income, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent? When you find yourself having to move and you find yourself in difficult situations, when you find yourself having to make a decision that's going to cost you, what do they see? Do they see pity and anger? Or do they see courage? One of the greatest lessons we'll ever be able to teach our children is to say no, to have the courage to say no. Because as they grow, there are going to be those times when people say, participate here whether it's drugs, alcohol, or simply making fun of someone else. And if we only teach them self-esteem, they may walk away, but courage will say, I will stand for what is right. Teach valor. The courage to stand for what is right, even when it costs you. Can I tell you this? Valor will almost always cost you. Because most people don't operate in that world. We operate in comfort and what feeds our self-esteem. But courage says, this is right. I'll pay the price regardless of what it costs. Let me tell you this. You want happy children? You teach them the spirit of courage and integrity. And they'll look back over the victories. They won't, they won't understand it when they're 8, 9, 10 years old. But when they look back, they'll realize, hey, look how much, look how many times I stood for what was right. Look at what God has accomplished. Look at the care and integrity. And let me tell you this. One day, there'll be a man up here standing and talking about your son or your daughter or your life because of the courage that was exercised. Or we can simply say, you know what? You just do what's best for you, Johnny. You just do what's best for you, Mary. So, what's going to be? The spirit of David, a man of courage, or the spirit of self-absorbed self-confidence of Goliath. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that, God, You sent Your only Son to live upon this earth as man and He courageously lived a life that was void of comfort and embracing of pain. And He did it on our behalf, not just as an example, but as a warrior, as a servant, as a representative of what it means to stand for truth and righteousness and to die for the sake of others. Lord, I pray that that Spirit would reign in us, that we would first ask the question, God, what will glorify You? Instead of first asking the question, what will release the pain? What will make this easiest for me? God, that is such a paradigm shift for us today. And I ask Your forgiveness for me. That is a paradigm shift. I pray, Lord, that courage would reign in our hearts and that You would be glorified. That we would not operate by might nor by strength, but by Your Spirit. Lord, we give You praise and glory for this day. And we lift this time up to You. And if there's one that doesn't know You today, I pray that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.